Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Kira Phelan podcast. Ireland and the music world have come together to mourn the death of Sinead O'Connor. Sinead was not only known for her music, but also for her activism. She fearlessly spoke out on social and political issues, including women's rights, child abuse and religious institutions abuses of power at a time when others were afraid to. And she refused to be censored. Her passing has initiated conversation and debate about how the world viewed and treated Sinead O'Connor. Joining me to discuss the reaction to her death is Irish Examiner News Editor Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, columnist Suzanne Harrington and Irish Examiner Journalist Owen O'Sullivan. Thank you all for joining me today. Deirdre, first of all, what did you think of the reaction to Sinead O'Connor's death? It has struck a chord with so many people across the country and further afield. I thought it was really interesting, Kira. Um, I was working on uh, on Wednesday evening when the news broke, and um, you know, we still have a lot to thank Twitter for in terms of gauging public response to things quite quickly. Um, people were genuinely quite devastated and 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 personally quite um upset by it and I, I thought it was very interesting because um we're Irish people are much better at being sincere when someone isn't there to hear them um we're very bad at, at sincerely emoting about somebody who can hear us um or about you know being complimentary or being genuine and sincerely um you know heartfelt to somebody's face and I think that actually accounts for an awful lot of our reaction to these sort of things um I think when it comes to Sinead personally People were very aware that her life had been very difficult, particularly since the death of her son. Um, everybody would be aware that she had had her struggles with mental health, that she had felt very let down by, by the state, by the systems that were in place to care for her son. Um, and, you know, by different personal difficulties that she'd shared throughout the years, quite publicly on social media. And, you know, so I think people felt that she was somebody that they were just so familiar with. She was very much a household name. There's, there's, she's almost the definition of a household name really in Ireland. She was one of those Late Late Show national treasures that, you know, appear with a lot of regularity on the Late Late that we kind of checked in with every so often to see how they were doing. A lot of the time with Sinead, she wasn't doing great and she was very forthright about that. Um, and But at times, you know, she she was very amusing and she she was somebody that people really felt they knew and i suppose in many respects i've been thinking about the mental um mental health aspect of Sinead's story a lot and i guess most of us have that friend who is particularly vulnerable who feels things particularly deeply who has so much empathy and who can have trouble dealing with having that much empathy for you know all the suffering that goes on in the world and you could really see with Sinead that she she felt every bit of suffering that she ever came across in the world as if it was happening to her herself. I mean, she had that much empathy. And I think people just really related to her as, you know, a very flawed, ordinary, fallible person with an incredible talent that lifted her beyond what the people you do know have generally. Um, so people felt they really knew her. And that was the that was the difference. I think a lot of us grew up with her, you know, um, it was very interesting. We were discussing how to cover the the change in attitude to her over the years 
And I think what was very interesting was generationally, a lot of us who work in news and in media now grew up with her as, you know, and with a lot of the narratives that she shared as accepted fact. So as long as I remember, we know about abuse in the church. But, you know, 10 years before that, it was it was taboo. Whereas Sinead was saying things that to my generation just always kind of made sense. We, we knew about those things to previous generations, though, she was absolutely, you know, an outlier. And she was somebody who spoke of taboos and who said things that nobody would say. So I think a lot of the the reaction to her was from people who originally had judged her on that basis and then changed their minds as they learned she was right. Um, and from people our age who kind of knew all along that she was right about things like church abuse and state abuse of women and children and the Magdalene laundries and all of those things. Um, but I guess when it comes to talking about people we know and talking about um, mental health, you know, anybody who uh, lives with or has a family member who has, you know, serious mental health difficulties, knows that is very difficult to live with and to deal with and to, to help. Um, and I think a lot of people felt that, you know, she she was let down, but for the people closest to her, it must have been very, very difficult to see that happen and to, to try and help her. So, yeah, I, th- I think we, we all just felt we knew her. Mm-hmm. And for you, Owen, do you agree with Deirdre? Do you think, who, who let her down, do you think, as well, ac- across society? And what did you think of the coverage, I suppose, in the newspapers and across the globe? I guess it was really striking just seeing the images that were all used, wasn't it, on the front pages. It was all her so young and it's something that really struck a chord. It's it's just like you see this almost vulnerable woman, but she was never really vulnerable. You know, she was always so set in her ways and she knew exactly what her message was and what she wanted to get across so I I don't know who exactly failed her even I'm sure that we'll talk about the many controversies that people would associate with Sinead O'Connor but I, I don't know if she would say that she was particularly let down after the um incident on Saturday Night Live when she ripped up that picture of the Pope which really does seem like the crossroads moment for her I mean who knows what might have happened where her career might have gone if she hadn't ripped it up but she certainly became a household name across America after that um so I I don't know if she would say that the record label should have been looking after me these people should have been looking after me she knew exactly what she was doing and her her story never changed that's what I think is the most remarkable thing about all this she was from the very beginning she was talking about the church's um, uh, abuse in Ireland she was talking about her own issues with child abuse and how a lot of the music was trying to deal with that coming to terms with that and she found some catharsis through her music. Suzanne the coverage in the UK, what has it been like and how do you feel about it? It's been um, wall to wall in terms of ordinary people just being really upset to hear that she died. Um, shocked and upset, just, you know, ordinary people. However, the media institutions like the BBC, ITV and Channel 5, none of them have gone near any sort of a tribute evening so, for example, when David Bowie and George Michael died, there was back-to-back documentaries all over the place. But 
the BBC, the ITV and Channel 4 aren't doing that, which I think is quite strange, and or not strange, but it's quite marked. Um, former Director General of Channel 4 said it was because she wasn't taken seriously. Um, I think she, like the BBC didn't even have any footage of her, apart from maybe per, um, performing some of her better known songs, but there is no, the, the, the sky have stuck her documentary onto their, it's kind of their top 10 at the moment, one of their most watched. And obviously the tabloids have been all over every aspect of her life. I think the most spot on reaction has been from somebody I would normally never agree with about on anything other than animal rights, which is Morrissey. And he mm. said that we hadn't the guts to support her when she was alive. I think that's bang on the money. And also Beth Orton, the folk tronica singer, she um, put quite an angry post about how Sinead was unsupported by everybody, echoing what Morrissey said. And she kind of said, she finished what she wrote by saying, it's no measure of health to be well adjusted in a profoundly sick society. And I think that Sinead O'Connor, words like vulnerable and frail, I don't think that they do her any justice. I think she was absolutely made of iron. Mm -hmm. And she took on things that we couldn't imagine. She took on patriarchy. She took on the church. She took on mainstream media. She took on the music industry. She took on everything simultaneously. At an age where, like 30 years before Me Too, 30 years before the Pope or the clerical abuse or maybe 20 years before the clerical abuse scandal came to light properly she was out there shouting into the void and she got crucified for it and mm. there's one similar I, I remember when John Lydon spoke out about Jimmy Savile being a paedophile many years before Jimmy Savile was revealed to be a paedophile and he, his comments were buried but his career survived because he was a bloke and he wasn't that um he was yeah he just wasn't i know it's a different situation but the the, the calling out of pedophilia is the kind of the link between the two but she mm. never recovered from what she did career-wise in terms of she didn't play the game with the music industry at all and so she wasn't um she was dumped by them and dumped mm. you know she was she was dumped on by them as well so I would say that the UK reaction has been amongst just shock and upset from everybody except the institutions who are just kind of, oh gosh, what a shame, she was mad. Yeah, there was one one newspaper in the UK published an obituary which said Sinead lacked the obsessive drive needed to keep a top flight pop career aloft while also summarising her career tormented rather than fulfilled her. People weren't happy with it and have reacted very strongly to that. What is, yeah, is it was the Guardian newspaper. What what has the re reaction in the newspapers been? I know you spoke about you know the broadcast, but newspapers, um, broadsheets, tabloids, has it been mixed? Uh, the coverage of her death has there been an outpouring of support apart from the Guardian newspaper that got a lot of backlash for that from people in the comment section and online. What has it been like overall? It's been fairly intense, I think. And there's been, I think, again, the, the, the tabloids have been largely sort of what a shame, how awful. And just rehashing, you know, instead of rehashing the kind of the, the, the 
tragic tragic elements or the torment or you know the the kind of stuff that tabloids love mm. this you know and 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 perhaps misusing words like frail and vulnerable a little bit um the the guardian i don't know what they were thinking i genuinely don't know what they were thinking maybe maybe they had a beef i i genuinely don't know but mostly the coverage has been detailed respectful um sad and also very much very much kind of marilyn monroeing her a bit you know the, the beautiful woman who, who died tragically i mean we love that narrative we love the difficult woman who sadly dies we, we love that and the minute they're dead they're not going to cause any they're not going to say anything more anything controversial so we can then heap praise and adoration upon them because they're not going to say anything because they're dead whereas when they're alive they're either kind of reported you know i i thought it was it, it, it the the there's an element of Gaza to it, you know. And, and yeah. dear, dear jo, I can't help but feel there was, you know, we, we have touched on it a little bit there, but there was a delayed reaction to how Sinead O'Connor helped Irish society confront all that was wrong with it. And, you know, abuse of power, misogyny, mm -hmm. more uh, child abuse. And it's because it made people feel uncomfortable, wasn't it? But she wasn't afraid to make people feel uncomfortable because it was what was happening and what was yeah. going on. Yeah, and that is that is a really big thing, actually. And um, I think um, just just go back to something Suzanne said there about the vulnerability. Like, I think absolutely in a professional context, she wasn't vulnerable. She knew what she was doing. And I think things like the ripping up the picture of the Pope and speaking out or, you know, going on the late, late dressed as a priest, all those things. She had absolute confidence in what she was doing. She believed in what she was doing. She wasn't going to let anyone talk her down. I think I suppose when when I call her vulnerable, I mean, in that sense of if you had a friend who was doing those things, you and you know, or your mother would say to you, are you sure about that? You know, what yeah, yeah. impact is that going to have on you uh, mentally? And I yeah. think the problem is she knew what she was doing. She knew how people would feel about it. But obviously she did have underlying, um, she was diagnosed with different things at different times, bipolar, or whatever it is, which, you know, those things were going to have enormous personal mental health ramifications for her. She was ready to do them nonetheless. But I think if if somebody in your family or your social social circle was, you know, doing those things, constantly putting enormous pressure on their reputation and on their career and on everything, you would say to them, you know, cheapers, you all right? Like, are you, can you can you not do that for a while? Give yourself a break. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's I suppose that's a very that's a very motherly instinct that people would have towards towards their friends or whatever that you say like stop putting so much pressure on yourself. Um, so that's kind of the context I mean that in. I actually don't mean it in a professional context because I think professionally, um, that Guardian uh, obit I thought was really interesting. I saw the responses from the journalist who wrote it actually on Twitter because she was being slated and it was a woman who wrote it, uh, which I wasn't expecting when I read it. Um, and I thought that particular line about the obsessive drive, I to to stay in a top flight pop career I thought it was one of the most patriarchal things I've ever read I looked and went that is one very specific particularly patriarchal definition of success in a career most artists don't think like that they want to make art they want to do things that have meaning they want to you know Sinead wanted to change the world she wanted to make the world
the world a better place through her art. That was her focus and her obs- her obsessive drive was leading in that direction. Mm. Her obsessive drive was not leading her to 20 platinum gold albums. She's not Beyonce. You know, it's it's such a different definition of success. And I would say, like, if you look back at what the goals of her career were, which were to speak out, to make these things known, to get people talking about these conversations, she did achieve that. Um, now it delayed. But if you look at the pieces, we had two pieces in the newspaper on Saturday, um, which are obviously still available on the website, Colin O'Gorman writing about his um his journey back to Ireland from London, where he was going to report his abuse um, for the first time, which subsequently led obviously to the Ferns Inquiry, which was the absolute turning point in Ireland of the, the child sex abuse scandal. And it was the where it was all blown open. Um, he watched Sinead O'Connor, I think, on Channel 4 the night before departing for Ireland. And he said she gave him the courage. She renewed his courage. She made him feel like he wasn't alone. He wasn't the only person in the world that had gone through this. And pe- other people did know. And he said that gave him the courage. We also had our own um, uh, uh, food critic, Joe McNamee, who has written for the first time about his own abuse, um, who said, again, Sinead gave people like him a voice, gave people like him courage to come out and to tell people what had happened to them. Um, so like for her, I would imagine to see something like that, obviously she she didn't see it because it wasn't written till after she died. But those things were a measure of success. She was a social justice campaigner and an artist, and she was somebody who wanted to change the conversation about things. So I think that's an enormously successful life. Um, you know, if you judge by the metric of what somebody actually wanted to achieve, she didn't want to be Beyonce or Taylor Swift, who I think will agree is the like the apotheosis of obsessive drives to succeed. Um so, you know, I, th- I think that's just something that, that probably needs to be said. Um, as for the question you actually asked me, Kira, I forgot what it was. <laughs> Listen, it's just in terms of like the reporting of, her, of like, do you think the reporting of her death has been adequately covered in terms of now how badly she was treated over the years in the press, uh, you know, after she ripped up the picture of the Pope um, when she came out and she spoke about issues, uh, when she decided to change her religion, you know, she was mocked in the press and yeah. people mocked her online. Um, yeah. And of what you mentioned now about how, you know, because of Sinead O'Connor's story and, and her challenging institutions, people felt that it gave them the courage to come out and speak about their own abuse. We're hearing all about that now, but do you think that was captured at the time um, or over the years? like it's very sick probably mm. no and i i do think like that the the mocking and the i suppose the dismissal of somebody who is different um or who yeah. is outspoken and who doesn't care what you say about her um and i think that's really you know that's i suppose it goes back to sort of schoolyard bullying doesn't it that you know you know she was always a bit a bit weird and she was a bit off center and a bit different to sort of mainstream thinking on every in every metric um you know even these days what what i think is so such a contrast i suppose when she was initially so well known um the fact that she was so that she was so religious would make people deeply uncomfortable these days because we're all so not religious um you know so she was always at odds with the prevailing thinking on whatever it was she very much had her own um paddled her own canoe on on everything really um i do think we we probably um it is a, a good time to look at a conversation around um as i said serious mental illness we've had so much discussion in the last few years about you know what to do if you're feeling low go for a walk and talk to your friends and have a cup of tea but like for people who have 
genuine, very serious mental illnesses, which need a lot of management and which are difficult to live with and which are difficult to try and look after people who have those as well. Um, we don't know how to deal with that still as a society and as individuals. We still don't know what kind of um what kind of approach people should take personally with that and how to deal with it and how to live with it and how to accommodate it. Um, and I think that probably accounts for a lot of the mocking. People mock what makes them uncomfortable. What do you think about that, Suzanne? And, and do you think there has been a bit of hypocrisy in the reporting of her death and the coverage over uh, about Sinead O'Connor over the years? Yeah, I do very much. Um, and I think... Um, I, I read somewhere recently that her that she was diagnosed with bipolar, but then it was she was re-diagnosed with mm. um PTSD, which would kind of make more sense. So that she was actually battling with severe trauma all her life. Like and she 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 described her performances, particularly with her first album, as being trauma therapy. Like she said she only wanted to scream. She said she never wanted to be a pop singer or a star. She wanted to scream, and 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 she screamed and screamed all through the Lion and the Cobra, which I think was just so, so extraordinary. I I also when she that when she was at that Bob Dylan tribute com, uh, concert and she got booed, and she just ripped out her headphones mm. and sang that a cappella song from Bob Dylan, War. I thought that was. That showed a kind of bravery. I I just it kind of blew my mind to be honest. And so I I don't know. I think the coverage that she received and the reality of 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 who she was were very very uh, distant. Yeah. Um. It's basically what everything that Dee said about uh, you know that she 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 was a one off, and she her fearlessness made her on the one hand unbreakable and on the other hand super fragile yeah you know because she everybody attacked her all the time she was either dismissed or ridiculed or both and, and excluded so, something that i don't think has been discussed discussed enough yet in in the coverage of her death is the role that religion played in her life like she clearly was a woman of faith religion influenced her music she frequently sang hymns and religious songs you know, ordained as a priest, converted to Islam. But were her belief, beliefs dismissed as mere fads sometimes and something that probably also made people feel uncomfortable at own? I mean, I suppose that it goes back to always challenging people. I mean, you get you can look right from the very start. The Lion and the Cobra is taken from Psalm 91, which is about a call to confidence in God. She never wavered in her belief that, you know, the church loved her she loved the church but it was the wider the wider church that she had a real problem with and she continued um talking about religion throughout her life she even though i i think that she says that it's not about religion but the song that she released on her last album uh it's called take me to church not that came out pretty much around the same time as Hosier, like it reads to me very much like her coming to terms with things. She's she says, uh, I've done so many bad things it hurts. Take me to church, but not the ones that hurt. It's not what it's worth. And but she says that's about relationships, that it's not about religion at all. It's a song about getting married. And you know, she continued 
kind of, I don't know, like, you know, you think that you have an idea of what Sinead O'Connor is about, and yet we don't at all. She's she's like a, a step uh, ahead of us or something like that. Even um, <clears throat> uh, uh, track off her fourth album, Universal Mother, Thank You For Hearing Me, it came out a couple of years after all of the controversy in 91. 92 and it's really really lovely it's you know she she sings thank you for hearing me thank you for standing by me but she says it's not about the reaction to um uh her at all it's actually a breakup song apparently it's about her relationship with peter gabriel even though i think that it's kind of taken on a different aspect over the couple of decades since so just musically i think you can't separate Sinead O'Connor and the church, you can't separate all of the controversies from it as well. But I think that she would have had something to say about our lay interpretations of what the music is about. I think Sinead O'Connor knew how much she was loved and respected. You know, when we see the outpouring of love, would you, you would hope that she knew how people felt about her, but I'm not sure she did. What do you think about that, Suzanne? God, that's a really hard one to answer because I don't know. Um, I know I know when she was on social media a lot, when she was having mental health crises, mm. she was getting a lot of love from individual people who were just on their laptops or their phones. But in terms of, and I think she probably knew that she was very loved within the music, the, com the music community because she was so hugely respected for her. Um, or she was very collaborative. She was really, really collaborative. And so when you hear, when you hear stories of her spats with the prince or whatever, because of something that he did, for every, for every negative story like that, there is a lot more positive ones from, you know, she was a hugely respected musician. And I think that that's what she cared about. You know, she did not care about any of the trappings of, you know, the Beyonce, Taylor Swift stuff. She cared about being respected by her fellow musicians, which she very much was. And I'd say she felt loved and accepted and respected within that community, which is the kind of the key one. And then also by uh, ordinary people like us who would have loved her and admired her as a person. In terms of the media or the, the, the industries, I don't know. And in terms of those who knew her much better than we do, for instance, her 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 own immediate family or loved ones, I couldn't possibly say. I have no idea. But I think I think we can't underestimate the impact the death of her child had on her. I think to come back from that is I don't think you'll ever come back from that. Even if you've got the even if you've got the mental health of a tank. I think to come back from the suicide of your 17 year old child is beyond, beyond, beyond anything any of us could ever imagine in our wildest, wildest imaginings. Mm. If you share that pain online, um, writing about it on Twitter and social media, which for anybody was very difficult to read, but for others who had lost, uh, you know, a child, whether it be by suicide or not, um, it brought comfort to some people because they saw the pain that she was going through, um, which was inside other people's homes and in, inside their front doors, Deirdre, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I suppose going back to what I said before about 
most of us do have that friend who has been through something so tough um, and so unimaginably difficult and who does wear their heart in their sleeve and who does talk about their feelings. And I think maybe for people who didn't, she was she was somebody who was there being raw and being open. And most of us do find that very difficult to deal with. Um, you know, we're not used to people, you know, we're all talking about talking about your feelings and, you know, all that. Most people do are not comfortable with that level of pain being on display. Um, and I think, you know, I remember when she first became active on Twitter, it must have been, you know, very active under, I think she was up first under Magda Davitt, the name she went by for a while. Um, and I remember her kind of people realizing who it was and what was going on. And as Suzanne mentioned, she did have very public kind of breakdowns via social media. I remember at one point she was looking for somewhere to live and she was asking, asking people on Twitter, could could they put her up? And it was so difficult to watch that. And I remember having the discussion, I was working radio at the time and myself and my colleague looking at these streets going, God, would somebody in her life not, not take the phone off her? But that's exactly what you have if you have a family member or a friend with mental health problems. You know, there is nobody on earth who can take the phone off you if you are determined to be doing that. Um, that's how that works and, or doesn't work. I mean, there is no system for nicely dealing with people who are very much determined and believe they're fully in their own mind and are in the middle of a crisis. And the fact that we saw that play out with her publicly so many times, um, it was it was just very sad and it was very difficult to watch. And, you know, for example, we've seen other celebrities in mental health crisis, like in America, they just sort of locked them up. You know, Britney Spears was was disappeared essentially for a good while. Um, that's happened to different people and that's undisputedly wrong. Um, there's no, you know, there's no two ways about what was done to Britney Spears was wrong. But at the same time, there's no mechanism for protecting somebody from themselves either or from from displaying that vulnerability. Um, so it was very difficult to watch it. And I think when when her son died, you know, as as Suzanne said, it's very, very difficult for for somebody even in the most robust mental health with all of the available support systems that you could have, you know, within a stable, loving marriage and a family and everything. It's still very difficult to deal with something like that. Um, and for somebody whose who's, uh, social circle and whose who's family life was very complex to begin with, um, it must have been all the more difficult. Suzanne and Dee, I might just go back to that question that I asked Owen about, um, religion and how it played out in her music and in her life Suzanne do you think it would it was the case that people were more comfortable about how she was so out there with her religious beliefs um particularly converting to Islam um and especially her expression in her music I think when it comes to her religion I think she used religion I think her spirituality was entirely deeply sincere and she used it as a coping mechanism all her life i think her use that's her her, her inner connection with with the divine or whatever i think her use of religion was really subversive because she's she began with um she was very aligned with the rastafarian rastafarian movement um way you know kind of long before that became anything sort of mainstream or fashionable or anything like that. I think becoming a priest was a, a, a one in the eye for um, all the misogyny that she that she endured at the the, the the wrong end of the Catholic Church. And I think converting to Islam and in an Islamic in in an Islamophobic world is also quite a subversive thing to do. I don't doubt her sincerity 
in any of her beliefs. I do not think she was doing cosplay. I don't think it was fake for one second. However, I think her alignment from an external perspective was very, very subversive and very interesting. Even, even I mean, I'm an atheist, but I was always fascinated by her devotion and how she, to organized religion when it was all you know she how she took organized religion which was one of the most damaging things you know she said in in that documentary how her mother was damaged and her mother and her mother and her mother by the mainstream catholic church in ireland and the damage it did to so many so many so many people and yet she joined it but as a priest so she took back some power i think I think she took back, actually, I think it was a huge repowering herself from having been crushed by the actions of the mainstream Catholic Church at the time. And when she appeared on the Late Late Show at that time, Deirdre, um, when Gay Byrne was presenting and she appeared um, and said, you know, that she'd been ordained as a priest. And I recall when I was watching back the clips, her reaction when Gay Byrne said something who who you know she had a really good relationship with Gay Byrne but he said something along the lines of what are you at and she basically said first of all don't speak to me like I'm a child um that image of her sitting there dressed as a priest it struck it struck a few chords I don't know if they were good ones with the public but the reaction mm. to it and and since and not only that but down through the years of how maybe Sinead O'Connor dressed or some of the con comments that she made particularly about religion um it it touched a nerve of people didn't it yeah i think so like i think um it's funny because it's quite some distance between the righteous anger that she felt at the church which mm. a lot of people you know came to feel after her will say when those revelations became very much public and you could no longer ignore them and maybe where she got to on that time of the lady where people did think that she was mocking you know, God or the church or priests. And I agree with Suzanne. I think it was entirely sincere. And she very much had that. Um, she very much had a very strong faith. And it was almost like that the institution that had, you know, I mean, the Catholic Church doesn't, I suppose it does explicitly reject women, but um, the, the, the institution that had explicitly rejected her and all like her, she still wanted to be in. And yeah. that's something that's really difficult to handle. Um, you know, I think mo a lot of women, certainly of my age, would have come to the point of, well, I don't want to be in a club that doesn't want to have me. And um, she didn't, um, which is, I suppose, speaks more. And I'm not a psychologist by any means, but which maybe speaks more to the damage, I suppose, that it had done to her, that she still yeah. felt she needed something from from organized religion and from the church. Um, and I think in many ways, when she converted later to Islam, that gave her a much greater peace because um, while there are obviously lots of problems with women in Islam, um, which are for a different day, uh, she did find that, I suppose they were different and and, and that it hadn't been personally visited on her. Um, mm. What's really interesting is actually in the last few years, maybe in the last 10 years or so, there's been this huge movement of, of kind of um, Irish women towards uh, sort of more pagan end of, of religion and goddess worship and uh, Sheila and the gigs and all this. These kind of symbolisms have become much more mainstream um, and she never seems to have gone in that direction. Uh, and I wonder, would she have eventually gone there? You know, maybe that was is a more more comfortable place for women. Um, but 
it's got yeah it's a real contradiction but i do think that she was always very much sincere in in whatever belief system she was adhering to at a given time that she kind of had i i found this and this has all the answers um and again we all know somebody like that you know there are a lot of people who need that connection and who need to feel there is something greater than themselves and that there is a guiding spirit or a guiding principle or whatever it is loads of people feel like that that's that's you know more mainstream than anything um but I suppose she never stopped questioning and never stopped looking for for something that, that would fit the bill. And most people probably just kind of give up after a while or just settle with whatever they have. And she wasn't the type to settle. So I yeah. think that was probably a lot of it, you know. Do you think going just on Dee's point there that, you know, despite everything she wanted in, she wanted to be a part of something. Do you think in one way that maybe she was searching for something, um, you know, peace? What do you think that was or how did it come across in her music? Um, I, I I was reading that she said that her um going into Islam was almost like the natural conclusion to her religious journey. So I'm hoping just spiritually anyway, she was happy in her later years. I think that um that that's the main thing that everybody probably wants. And hopefully that's what she found through her journey. And it sounds like it really was a journey for her from ever since she was a child um to to kind of finally make it towards the end and to um to islam and i th- i thought it was interesting that like we all call her Sinead o'connor and even i i was at the choice prize earlier this year when she received the classic irish album award she was introduced by dave fanning who's a long time uh champion of her music but you know none of none of us are calling her she had a sadikat you know it's uh i think it's interesting i think even now like that's almost a challenge that she's laying down to us and do you think when she converted to islam in the way she spoke about it um on social media she gave you know brief explanations as to why did it come across uh, you know the way she spoke the way she wrote that she had found what she was looking for in religion do you think suzanne I think I, I I don't know to be honest. I think at the time certainly, but um, I think I think it seems as though in Sinead O'Connor's life her goalposts. She was a seeker. She's always mm. been seeking, seeking, searching, searching, and I think that the goalposts of her life were moved very violently. Not always by her, you know, by external forces or by external circumstances, whatever. And so I don't know. I would have thought like what Dee said. I think that, you know, I would have thought something a bit more sort of chilled and peaceful, like say Buddhism would have been the more mm. obvious one. And the, that's the one that, that, that we all think is the least offensive because it sort of smells and bells and there's no dogma and there's no doctrine and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But who knows? She was a, contra- she was a contrarian, mm. you know? She was a brave, fearless contrarian. And to expect her to have kind of, toddled along to to sit in a nice meditation space with incense rather than take on the name that none of us can pronounce or to shift a shapeshift she was a shapeshifter a spiritual shapeshifter and so her her choice you know she she was so obviously obviously searching for identity hence the uniform the changing religious uniform the changing names the changing even you know, musically to go from 
colossally huge selling album to, to working in jazz. She can, she, when other people did that, like say Bowie, you know, we, we, we adored them for it. But when she shifted shape, we just thought, oh, is she a bit mad? And I yeah. think we can apply that to her spiritual and or religious journeys or her musical journeys, her relationship journeys. I hate using the word journey, but you know what I'm saying? There's she she was on an ongoing meandering, often volatile trip. Yeah. May I ask you, Suzanne, obviously we know um Sinead is a mother. Um the motherly instinct as well, the protectionism that comes with that, that was very evident in how she also treated other female artists particularly her open letter to Miley Cyrus that time. Mm. Um, you know, to, to put something like that out there to, to Miley Cyrus and look, Miley Cyrus didn't react well at all uh, to it. What do you make of that the way she, you know, Miley Cyrus might see it now as she was looking out for me? I think the intention seemed really good. It's a bit like what Dee said earlier that you kind of think, oh God, maybe like don't say, maybe send that, privately maybe don't put it on social media maybe you know it i i think the intentions were so pure yeah i think she was such a kind empathic woman there's so many stories emerging now of things she did under the radar that we don't know about that she didn't put on social media and i think she obviously was an incredibly yeah maternal woman an incredibly maternal woman who really genuinely loved and to be able to become a, a mother herself when she was still so young and so busy and so pouring a heart into her first album and to then have a baby in the middle of that so she had the she had the caring loving nurturing thing in spades i think possibly her letter to Miley Cyrus, Miley Cyrus could have done with a bit of an edit but really the underlying thoughts were just she was ahead again she was ahead of her time she was saying don't you know, she was preempting me too, really, wasn't she? By just saying, you know, don't, don't be, don't sell yourself, don't sell yourself short. And I think she was appallingly treated by some other people like Madonna, who was, you know, feminists like Madonna and Camille Paglia. The way they behaved towards her was really, really shocking. I, 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 I didn't actually realize what Madonna did until until looking into it recently. About you know about her mocking Sinead O'Connor and slagging her off and and the hypocrisy of saying things like well she shouldn't have torn up that picture of the Pope because he's important to lots of people it's like Madonna's millions came from you know Pope baiting but in a very staged and theatrical manner whereas Sinead did it from the heart and you know I know that's slightly off topic from what you asked me but I do think her relationship towards her 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 connections and her her caring for other young women coming up i'm surprised she didn't try and bust britney out to be honest yeah because if 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 britney if britney had been called brian and had a penis there's no way britney would have been in britney jail for even half an hour and so mm. it did surprise me that shanae didn't wade in there as well but maybe she was i don't know the chronology chronology of it but maybe um 
maybe what happened to her, her reaction with with Madonna and Miley Cyrus may have made her wary of wading in. I don't know, but her intentions were absolutely pure as and entirely admirable. And I, I feel bad for Miley that she didn't sort of appreciate them at the time, but I could imagine it was possibly a bit of a shock. And also Ameri sorry, yeah. Americans are probably different in how they, you know, Sinead had no filter. Americans or mm. American pop stars would be a lot of filter. Mm. And you also, um, you touched on that, Suzanne, the stories that we're hearing about uh, Sinead O'Connor over the last couple of days that we never would have heard about, um, you know, traveling to the UK to spend a week with a young, young woman that was dying of cancer, um, selling a house for half a million euro and then giving it to a charity. And it was just a further representation of the type of person and woman that Sinead O'Connor was. And she's a huge loss uh, to the music world and to Ireland. And um, look, thank you very much for joining me today to speak about the life of Sinead O'Connor. Mm -hmm.